0: I was like, first of all, twenty three. I guess she was twenty three at the time, and she liked scotch. What a strange woman! What a strange girl!
1: Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, she likes scotch. Okay. I think of like lyrics about a rambling, rambling lad <laughs> that's walking the. I don't know what the you're hills. About. I don't either. This is, I'm just flowing <laughs> with this, but
0: so and she happened to bring some scotch with her, and she offered me some. And she was like, would you like some? I was like, I don't really know if I like scotch. I tried it. It was awful at the time. And we hit it off. We just talked. And that was, you know, I found a lot of comfort in our ability to talk with each other. And in hindsight... That should be a really good indicator of somebody that you could spend the rest of your life with. If you really, if you really believe that marriage is between one person and one other person, that, and it's supposed to be forever, then it needs to be somebody you can talk to.
1: This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode 20 of Epic Ordinary Lives. One of the reasons why I love recording this podcast is because it gives me lessons. It gives me wisdom. And that is no exception in this week's episode with Kevin Vaughn part two, where part one was mostly about becoming a new father and his two sons and the lessons that's he, that he's learned. Part two is about marriage and the lessons that he's learned with his wife of, at the time, six years. And at this point, he's got to be pushing seven years in terms of marriage if he hasn't already elapsed that. And I think that's one of the beauties of, of having a podcast is... That it forces conversations that are on another level because they're being recorded. And although I can think of negative things, you know, of of being recorded, that recorded puts people in a nervous state or in a self-conscious state, but it also elevates the moment because you're playing for keeps to a certain extent. Yes, you can delete whatever conversations you have, but when you record, at least on some level, you're immortalizing that moment. And in that way, you you sit up a little bit straighter when you're recording. And, And the lessons that he talks about in marriage are some that whether you agree or disagree, whether you can relate or whether you're very far away from marriage. I think this topic is fascinating. I think relationships are fascinating. I think one of the reasons why they're one of the most challenging things is one of the reasons why they're one of the grandest. And one of the, the areas where when people get it right, why they're so worthy of applause, of of learning, of listening. Because Like recording on a podcast on a much higher level, you're playing for keeps, at least in most cases. And even if you're not playing for keeps, you're definitely playing with gasoline when you put your heart out on the line. And so that's why I find episode 20 and part two with Kevin such a fun, fascinating episode. Where we dive deep into the lessons he's learned and the advice he would offer anybody that's in a relationship or might be in a relationship. And then, after we have recorded the very serious topic of relationships, there's a bonus part at the end where we talk about really how we met. And I will just say that it, uh, hmm, it's something that I'll never forget. If you wanna support this work, you can always write a review on iTunes. That is really deeply appreciated by all of those who have done so already. Thank you so much. I know how hard it is to take the time to do something like that. So thank you again for doing that. And if you are listening, if you are downloading, even if you don't comment on it, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I love doing this work. It's hard work. It's hard work to come up with a show every week, but it feels really great and I love it. If you want to support this work financially, the best way to do that is to go to epicordinarylives.com and click the Amazon banner. That is, if you do shop on Amazon for the plethora of things, the (laughs) nearly endless... Laundry list of items that you can buy on Amazon. If you buy any of those, you can use my link to buy something you were going to buy already. And I get something like 7% back, which is great, which helps because there are costs associated with this and there's time associated with this. And if you do that, Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. So I hope you enjoy part two with Kevin Vaughn and without further ado here we are on epic ordinary lives again with my good old friend kevin vaughn so to that let's let's go to your your marriage one of the things we were laughing about before we started recording is i, I think the the question the way i phrased it that you got married relatively young you were probably 24, 24 yeah because yeah, I was 24 that year Ten- I
0: still feel by the way when people ask me my age I don't think 31st <laughs> I think 24 that is like the age that gets ingrained in me
1: oh interesting
0: and so it I don't I'm sure it will change at some point but when people ask me my age the first number that comes to mind is 24. why why do you think that I is? I have no idea probably I don't know that's probably where I found most of my identity. Okay. But my identity's changed since. My, I mean, 24 is when I got married. So you could think right before I got married is when I found my identity or right after. But my identity has completely changed now that I have kids. Now that I've been in my career for a long, well, longer period of time. Um, I mean, my wife and I, we've started a business. Uh, It's just, I don't know. Inexplicable. It's a, yeah, it's a new identity. But... For some reason, that's what's ingrained. Like my sister, we're only a couple years apart. She's a little bit younger than me. I still don't. Maybe she's 27. I don't know. I really don't. Because any time I think of her, I think of she's 12. That's the first number that comes to mind. Yes. Which is not even close. But that's just who I see her as is my 12-year-old sister.
1: I completely get it. I, I have I, I was I'm an only child, but I grew up very close to three male cousins who were four and six years younger. Two were four, one was six years younger. By the way, shout out to Grant, Jeremiah, and Clark. <laughs> but they will always remain for me those those kind of like whatever age probably something like when i was in eighth grade which meant they were in elementary school there's like still that aspect where i view them as those kids which is probably what parents would say and and to the point that you're making my dad will make some joke about how he looks in the mirror and goes oh i'm old now and of (laughs) course i don't think you're old dad at all i always argue that um you've always been this age (laughs) Well and and Dad's a screaming demon um, <laughs> he, he gets stuff done as does my mom. they're in their mid to early to mid 60s in this case. but this this age identity that's that's an interesting place there. but your your marriage, you know, I remember I was at your wedding. we my our friend that we've mentioned Colton, we moved with you guys like we didn't mm-hmm. actually physically move, but we helped you move at a place. However you want to enter the topic of marriage, because I think you can speak to it. And, and I actually wrote, you got married relatively young because there are a lot of people right now, maybe some who could be listening, assuming anybody ever listens to this. <laughs> but th- th- there are a lot of people who are, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 and, or, or I'm 38 or I'm 47 or, or whatever the or I'm 24. And I think, but you you have been married, so you can either enter what it was like to meet the person. You can enter just immediately the day that you became married. But any direction you want to head in that.
0: So I went into college thinking, I'm going to find my wife here. And that's not entirely far off. I mean, I, I did meet my wife during... College-ish time. I'm just, I don't. I don't even know where to go with that. It's who my wife and I are now is nothing like what we were when we first met, when we first got married. Now, I met my wife in the summer. Remember the uh, the Nashville flood? Oh yeah. I mean the huge flood flooded of land and they everything. The
1: closed school. Yeah. Uh, where I went to school or where I taught for that.
0: We met. That weekend that it happened. Wow. And a bunch of friends of ours, one of our mutual friends had a cabin somewhere. I don't know where we were. Cookville, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Okay. That's outdoorsy. Yeah, sure. Why? Why not? Had a cabin. We all went there. Bunch of guys, bunch of gals, and we were all going to stay at the cabin over the weekend Mm -hmm. and just hang out. And that's where I was planning to meet her, because I had another mutual friend who said, hey, I've... I've got this friend, you need to meet her, you guys are going to get married. And she was absolutely right. We hit it off and within a couple, I thought, I guess we met, that that flood was in May?
1: It was definitely warm and a weird time to be getting out of school. Um, so
0: it wouldn't have been June, but maybe May.
1: No, definitely wasn't June. I don't think it was even that. Cl- April. I, it's like April. Cause okay. it really was like after the snow yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then we were so, <laughs> and I'm speaking for myself. I was <laughs> glad to be getting a day off. But, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So
0: let's say it was April. I think mm-hmm. that's, I think that's, that's right. accurate. We can actually um, look that up. Uh, and in, and I bought the ring in June. I knew we met in April. I bought the ring in June. Wow. And then I gave her the ring in September. Yeah, and so I can't explain. I used to think that whole uh, when you meet somebody, you just know that that's the right person. I thought that was the biggest load of crap. Uh huh. I was like, that's fairy tale, fairy tale stuff. That's movie stuff. That doesn't actually happen. But it did, and I wasn't ready for it. I knew I was going to meet a girl and that she was pretty. That's all I knew. And then we hit it off. We joke, we were just talking the other day, uh, my wife and I, how we don't remember our first date, our, our first official date. Because we just hung out and then like we didn't go on a formal dinner date. We just went and got to know each other. And then next thing you know, we were together. We were dating and we just did stuff together.
1: What were the first moments like when you, you know, there's that, because again, the funny part about this is that often fairy tales will talk about this opening first, you open, you know, your hand grabs the door, you open, you enter the room and boom, and, and you used to say, well, that's a bunch of crap. And yet I feel like asking that question since you, you knew so quickly. I
0: did know quickly, but not in that moment. hmm So whenever I first saw her, I just thought she was pretty. I didn't know anything else about her. Yeah. I mean, I used to think a lot of women were pretty. For sure. So I knew that there was potential because she was pretty. I found her attractive, so there's probably some potential here. Then I started to get to know her, you know, and I found out she liked scotch. (laughs) And I couldn't stand scotch at the time. Now I like scotch, but I was like, first of all, twenty. Three, I guess she was twenty-three at the time, and she liked scotch. What a strange woman! What a strange girl! Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, she liked scotch. Okay.
1: I think of like lyrics about a rambling, rambling lad <laughs> that's walking the. I don't know what the you're hills. Talking about. I don't either. This is. I'm just flowing <laughs> with this. But
0: so, and she happened to bring some scotch with her, and she offered me some, and she was like, "Would you like some?" I was like, I don't really know if I like scotch. I tried it. It was awful at the time. And we hit it off. We just talked. And that was, you know, I found a lot of comfort in our ability to talk with each other. And in hindsight, that should be a really good indicator of somebody that you could spend the rest of your life with. If you really, if you really believe that marriage is between one person and one other person that, and it's supposed to be forever, then it needs to be somebody you can talk to. Hmm. Otherwise, what a quiet, abysmal life that would be to be married to somebody, to be married to a roommate that you don't like.
1: Yeah, what's that quote? The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. That's what comes. I I don't remember exactly. Awful. I think that's actually um, in Walden. I think that's Thoreau.
0: You would know way more than I would.
1: (laughs) Well, the point being, that sounds like what you're talking about, and that's a very stark but very poignant way you're laying that out,
0: right there. Yeah. And so, you know, anybody, anybody who is listening, you know, if it's if it's somebody that you genuinely want to spend time with and be, and you can talk easily with, it's worth a shot. You know, if it's somebody that you can't really stand, and I'm not talking about leaving the cap off the toothpaste. That is such a surface level issue, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, you think about your everyday life. going to get home from work. You're going to go home. If your wife works, you both are going to meet at home at some point, And you're going to have to unwind. Who do you want to unwind with? Who do you want to tell about your day, whether it be good or bad? It better be your wife or your husband. You know what I mean?
1: I love what you're doing because we can all perform for people. Mm-hmm. Or we can have the type of personality where we say, I don't care what anybody thinks and I don't perform. Right. which. There's many ways to go about that, but we can, we can handle a great myriad of people for a little while. But it, the person that you've got to go down when your cortisol levels are, you, you gotta, you gotta come and you gotta be in the same space as, and your cortisol levels are up, are up and you're tired. Mm-hmm. Who do you feel safe with? Yeah. Who can you rest with?
0: Yeah. There's got to be somebody. That gives you peace. Otherwise, if they don't give you peace, then they give you the opposite. There's nobody who's just neutral. I guess I guess there are people who are neutral. People that you don't really know can give you neutral emotions. You know what I mean? Sure, eventually but, though. But if you genuinely know them, mm-hmm. they are either going to bring you more peace or bring you less peace. I mean, that, I, that seems like a pretty simple one to me. I mean, does this person bring you more, and it's also important to ask, do, do I bring my wife peace? Because if I'm bringing all this baggage home and I'm never meeting her needs and I'm never concerned about her day and I'm never, I'm not serving her, then she's not getting anything out of it.
1: Yeah. As you know, your own needs, you, you then can, just as you did with looking at your own children and then becoming a better teacher. That's right. The same thing applies in that partnership. And it sounds like you guys could talk very early on. Like you, you had mm-hmm. that easily readable aspect of it.
0: Yeah. How would you say the je ne sais quoi? Je, certain je ne sais quoi. soup de jour? No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Those are words that yeah. sound good and <laughs> they, often have yummy things. That's you. right. But, you know, one of the biggest... A phrase that we use regularly, my wife and I, is... We have to die to ourselves daily, which is a biblical phrase, but it's something that we remind ourselves audibly. And another, another thing that we pose to each other is, how can I serve you today? And we're very intentional about asking that question and anticipating a response. And some, it should be tangible. How can I actually serve you today to make life easier on you, to bring you more peace, Whatever it looks like. Um, Can I rub your feet or can I put the kids down? Can I give the kids a bath? Can I make dinner? Can I just take control of everything at the house so that you can have 30 minutes to yourself? Is that a way that I can serve you? And sometimes, you know, offering suggestions like that, because we don't know what we want, we don't know what we need. So the fact that, you know, we've only been married less than six years, but I can look at my wife and go, You just need some you time. Mm -hmm. So just the other day she was getting kind of stressed and I could sense it and she wasn't getting snippy with me or anything. I just could tell that she was stressed and I said, why don't you go to coffee shop and have some you time, just go. And she's like, well, I got to get the kids down for a nap. They got to get lunch and blah, blah, blah. And I went, I'm on break. Go. I am dad. I can take care of this. It's not like I check in temporarily and I play dad. I am dad all the time. You are mom all the time. You go and be yourself. Don't worry about being mom right now, cause I got it. And that, if there's if there's any young couple listening, do that for your spouse. Give them me time. Uh, it's so valuable. You know, because that's why I married my wife in the first place is because she was who she was.
1: Mm-hmm. And what two things come to mind there is is the A, looking at somebody, mm-hmm. like actually looking. And because I think ultimately that's what all of us really want is to be seen for who we really are. Mm-hmm. And then number two, not just accepted for that, but embraced. Sure. Not just tolerated for exactly who we are, but somebody to push uh, shift and then whatever the button is for exclamation point on the on the keyboard. A one. One. Yeah. They want we want somebody that will hold shift down and they will push that and they will hold it there, and because they want what we are even whatever that is whatever that is.
0: My favorite phrase, and I don't I only heard it, you know, a couple years ago was, "Are you a champion for your wife?" I love that phrase. Are you a champion for your wife? Are you championing her? Are you her biggest supporter? Does she know it? That's a big one. You know, Does she know that I am actually her biggest fan and that I'm going to do whatever I can do to make sure that she is not necessarily happy. Happy, again, is very surface level. But does she find joy in who she is and what she does? Because, I mean, anybody can make anybody happy for a minute. But can she find joy in the long term? Did you... I'm sorry. Well, and one of the ways that my wife and I, we find joy in each other is that we have a spiritual walk together, Mm -hmm. you know. That's our foundation. And I think, you know, we don't have it perfect. But I think that's one reason why our marriage is successful to this point, you know. I say to this point, (laughs) that's probably the worst qualifier I could use. Because it's not going to end, you know. We are both in it to win it. We are... We don't use the D word. You know what I mean? It's just not an option. It's never been an option.
1: Yeah, you're burning the bridge behind you as you go. There's no... Of course. You're not turning around. There's no way out of this.
0: The, the no way out principle. We I mean, we went through pre-marriage counseling. And that was one of the principles that, was, uh, that we talked through was, do you believe that there's a way out? And... Before we even went through the training, training so to speak, we both said no. This is a one-way road. We can't turn around. And then we talked about the idea of a, you know, a way-out clause, and what that would look like. Because there are some people out there who think marriage is temporary, and I completely disagree. And we're allowed to disagree on that. But there's a reason why marriages are successful and there's a reason why they fail. I think one of the big reasons why they fail is because people think there's a way out. And so they don't stick with it.
1: You talked about becoming a champion, which again this sounds a lot like that hero's journey, you mm-hmm. know, you're answering this call, will you become Uh, It also reminds me of the movie Cinderella Man, which is an excellent boxing movie with Russell Crowe. All right. But he's in the Great Depression. Yeah. And it has a lot of themes about, like, you know, we're not going to have food. We're going to have to send the kids away. And at the end, there's this this great line, you are the champion of James Braddock, you are the champion of my heart. Anyway, for those that don't (laughs) like boxing movies, did you become... Did you feel an innate quality of being a champion for your wife? Or was that something that you, you developed? You know, these may seem like obvious things, but I want to go to that spot because, you know, we can read a thousand books. We can hear a thousand cliches, which are cliches for a reason. They're right. often really smart advice. And yet, how did that journey look? Because six years in is still worth something great, in my opinion.
0: Sure. there's There's some value in six years. I mean, I have a lot of value in it. I'm really invested True in, that. in this six-year investment. But, you know, it's just six years. It's a drop in the bucket. It's because we're looking at the long term. I'm looking at we'll be married for 50, 60, 70 years. So to answer your question, now, it was not innate. It was not. I didn't just know to do that. Um, but I figured it out pretty quick. You know, when I wouldn't champion my wife, there are consequences to that, you know? (laughs) That whole cliche of happy wife, happy life. I hate that phrase, but there is a, a grain of truth in there. But it's not the fact that my wife is happy, so then I will be happy. It's the fact that my wife will be happy if I am serving her. And I'm supporting her. And... I found I find a purpose and I find joy in being able to serve my wife. Not all the time. I mean, we have a dog, we have two dogs. The thing that I cannot stand the most is we will both be in bed, ready to go to sleep, and one of us will go, Oh, the dogs haven't been let outside yet. <laughs> I mean, the house is shut down, doors are yeah. locked, kids. Lights put are to off. bed. And we forget that the dogs are out. Or the dogs are uh, haven't gone outside yet. And the last thing I want to do is get out of that bed and let them out. But I do it so that my wife doesn't have to. I bite the bullet. And it is so trivial. It's such a silly thing to get mad about. I don't want to let the dogs out. Well, get over it. It's just letting the dogs out. It's mildly inconvenient for a moment. And then... You have served your spouse. You know, uh, the Bible says to outdo one another in honor. Okay, what does that look like? That means outdo one another in service and uh, support and love. And I do this because you won't have to because you will find pleasure in it because it makes myself, that's why. So it wasn't instant, but I, you learn it pretty quick when you start get when you Learn how to read your spouse. You know that if I were to make her get up and let the dogs out, she's not going to be in the best mood. Or I could go and do it for her, and she's going to be very appreciative. You know what I mean? It's not—it's not rocket science. You just have to be willing to put some work in.
1: And and yet, as you say, you have to walk the path. Sure, these these are simple things, and I think one of the things that I'm hearing is is just the fact that you have a contract with each other that we're going to use all of these things as part of the path. Mm-hmm. This is all part of the path that we share. Yeah. So there's kind of this bigger overarching view there. Yeah. And you
0: know, in with, with our wedding, oh my goodness, that is so unprofessional. I can't believe you would let my phone go off like that.
1: I'm a beginning podcaster. <laughs> this is like episode. I, I promise everyone I will do better if anyone <laughs> indeed is listening.
0: Anyway, I'll silence my phone now. You know, it's the what our marriage was built on. You know, you say a contract, and we go a step further and call it a covenant. Yeah. It's okay. an, a covenant agreement, which is something that cannot, uh, will not be broken, uh, which is how covenant was designed. There's no escape clause. A covenant was usually between God and somebody else. And that's how our marriage was designed. And. So whenever you step back and you go, oh, there's no out, what is my next option? We are not getting a divorce because one of us won't let the dogs out. How silly. What's the the obvious next option? Because that's never an option. The next option is either I let the dogs out or she does. It's, I don't know, it seems, (laughs) I say it seems simple, but I had to learn the hard way at some point, you know. So it wasn't simple at that point.
1: <laughs> well, and, and again, and I'm, we're heading to the, the final question, but as with many things in life, there is knowing the path and then there's walking the path, whatever it whatever it is. You mentioned many times the difference between your perceptions of how things would be and how they actually are. That applies in so many ways. And, and that's why anyone who has actually achieved something deserves props just because they got it done mm-hmm. just because they did it. So thus leads to our final question for this, this particular first episode with you. You're welcome back for a part two, as That's is sweet. everyone that has been a uh, gr- great guest so far, but what advice would you give? And this is a Tim Ferris question. So I want to give credit there, but what advice would you give your 18, 19, what, how old were you when you first entered college?
0: Mm, I guess I was like 18, so let's, and then I became 19 my first semester. We're only a
1: few months different, yeah. it seems. So let's just say 18 to 19. What advice would you give that guy?
0: <laughs> you know, there's life beyond high school, first of all. high school is <laughs> High school is a beautiful time for a lot of people some people, it's it's terrible. But, <laughs>
1: it was all right for me.
0: But, I, I mean, I had a great high school time. Okay. I really loved it. But there's life beyond it. And that's what I try to get my students to understand is that, you know, they're all worried about their GPAs. And they're all worried about getting accepted to college. They're going to get accepted. If you want to go to college, you're going to go to a college. There's just... There's life beyond 18. And so all the stuff that you've carried with you, take it with a grain of salt. Learn from... It's kind of like, you know, when you when you eat a good steak. You know what I mean? You know, like a good prime rib that has some, some fat running through it, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Marbling. Yeah. Now think about the not-so-good cut that has gristle. Sure. You take a bite. You chew up the good pieces and then you spit out the gristle, right? That's kinda of what you gotta do by the time you're eighteen. You're gonna You're gonna chew on the good parts and spit out the crap. You're not don't be so serious is a good piece of advice. Because life gets so much better past eighteen. And if it's not getting better, then make it better. Like don't don't wallow in your own waste. Don't don't be down on yourself. Just make it better.
1: Because now you're in the driver's seat.
0: Sure, and, you know a lot of a lot of my high school students are already in the driver's seat.
1: Okay, yeah, that obviously depends. You could be sure. in a kindergarten situation and already be in the unfortunately. <laughs>
0: sure, but at some point you've got to take ownership of you, and that that would be some good advice I'd give myself when I was 18. Is just take ownership of yourself. Take care of yourself, serve other people while you're doing it, and yeah, I would I would tell myself to to get deeper in the Word earlier. I found a lot of peace and joy in just having the Word of God available and me being pre- uh, receptive to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And forgive, forgive is a big one. Uh, The advice of being able, the ability to be able to to forgive and know that you don't have to forget, but you should forgive. People are going to mess up and going to wrong you and it does you no good to hold on to it. Just forgive and move on. It's a lot easier. You don't have to carry around baggage. You don't have to stress yourself out over something that somebody else is probably not even worrying about anymore. You know, just forgive, move on, you'll be all right.
1: And any advice to that point for, because if someone inflicts something truly heinous, and I, I guess I'm not really talking about murder, that seems to go beyond that, that, that is taking on a whole new context, but let's just say you've been dumped yeah. And they did it in a very malicious way or, yeah. or some where, you know, a, you are carrying it around, but you, you don't, you're not ready. You, you simply on a gut level are not ready to let it go. Yeah. Some people may find themselves in that place or it may be a job they didn't get or that was their dream or a career that they failed at or something. Any advice for that?
0: You know, that's that's difficult because you're right. Everybody's going to go through that. Whether failure or uh, rejection or what seems like failure, like with a career. Sure. Maybe not failure at all, but that's our perception of it. You know, I've, I've wanted to get into administration for a couple of years now. And I think I'm more than qualified. But I haven't, the door has not been opened. And I was really wallowing in my own waste on that. Like, am I, why I'm good enough for this? Uh, why isn't anybody accepting me? And blah blah blah. Well, it doesn't matter. It's not like I'm gonna change any one specific thing about my interview process that is gonna get me into a position. The interview is one little piece of the puzzle. It is about being right place, right time. God's gonna open up a door when you're supposed to be there. And that's just how it is. So I've been having interviews for two years now. Nothing's come of them, except more interviews. And I've just recently been able to just let it go and say, I'm supposed to be in this position. I don't know why, but I'm just going to have to be okay with it. As far as relationships go, (laughs) I say this, it's because it's been a while since I've gone through a breakup but I would say just let it go (laughs) it sounds way too simple it's not supposed to be easy but verbalizing saying you know I forgive this person and I actually let it go saying it out loud making yourself believe it eventually you will and you will actually be rid of the stress I don't know, there are people who go through, they're called positive affirmations. You know, yeah. you write statements of affirmation about yourself and you say them audibly every day. And I think it's, it's kind of strange for me, but I've tried it, you know, when nobody's listening. <laughs> and they do make you feel better. It's just strange. I'm not completely sold on it, but I'm not against it. So, I think audibly convincing yourself that, hey, there's more out there. I hate that phrase, there's more fish in the sea. Man, is it, my parents used to say that whenever I would yeah. break up with somebody. I'm like, well, when it's you're in they don't know what else to say. When are in a heartbreak right. and someone is talking Oh, there's another fish. one out there. Who cares? Yeah, well, I'm whatever, not worried about other the other one. one. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, the, the big advice is, so if somebody says, I'm just not over her, my advice is, We'll get over her. I mean, th- I mean, if you really have reached an agreement that you're not going to be together, there's nothing you can do about it. So practically speaking, you may need some time to grieve, and that's normal. I mean, Jesus grieved over the death of his friend. That's normal to have a time of grief. But there's... There's no value in holding on to anger or remorse or pity or resentment. You know, that we were just talking about how, you know, it raises your cortisol level. Well, you raise it too much and your body gets stressed out. Yeah, you pay um, for that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And there are so many things in life where the the, the advice or the answers are simple but not easy. Sure. Sometimes you just got to get up and you got to fight and it it really brings back to a line from the great movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You know, I think it definitely won an Academy Award Totally didn't. But (laughs) Azeem, the (laughs) main helper of Kevin Costner slash Robin Hood, at one point says, get up, move faster. And my dad, I grew up hearing get up, move faster because sometimes... The answer, I wish I was more blank, be more blank. I wish I got over blank, get over blank. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree, and I appreciate your friendship, and I appreciate you being here and doing this. Yeah. And any final parting words?
0: No, we have to do this again, though. We shall do a part That's two. right. Yep. This has
1: been Kevin Vaughn, Woo-hoo. chemistry teacher, adventurer who has answered the call <laughs> of marriage, fatherhood and will probably someday be an excellent administrator
0: there we go thank you
1: you're welcome so when we finished recording we realized that we teased out earlier in the podcast a story of kevin in women's underwear in my bed and so we really need to explain yeah yeah that that we, we may need more details. So do you want me to kick that off? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This was early on in college, you know in, in a stressful, early but exciting adventure like that, you find yourself go for it. Well, this is, if I remember right, this is one of the first ways we met. Opening. I think this may be the first personal conversation we ever had. Yeah. If you can Maybe call we this saw our... each
0: other in passing and sure. wrong, hey, what's up? And that's a nice that it. like yeah. Yeah.
1: But this was a uh, moment that we shared <laughs> that I now will never forget. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember coming back from the library and you're already nervous and excited and scared because you're early in college and you know, you're making friends, but you don't know what's going on and <laughs> I remember I came back from the dorm, and everybody, or from the library to the dorm, and everybody was being kind of unusually nice, and there was not a hint of snarkiness. (laughs) And they said, "Well, uh, we remember you said you you needed to go to bed early, or something like that." And I, I, you know, I'm a total, absolute dolt. Uh, I don't think (laughs) I've ever used the word dolt in my life until now. But I, I, I had no idea. Looking back, it was real fishy. And they said, "You know, all right, man. Well." Have a good night. Like people kept saying, like you know, take care. And I went into my bedroom. the The door was closed. I shut the door behind me and locked it. I still remember very dramatically locking it because all these people were outside. This is foreshadowing. And I remember I jumped from the middle of the tiny room and I landed on the bed onto flesh. I still remember. Uh, and there were fateful words that were said to me that are burned into my consciousness yeah
0: i think i think i recall saying hey baby yeah yeah it was something like that. yeah yeah
1: and my blood froze (laughs) uh and i remember looking down at this full lingerie with chest hair and i remember thinking uh this is a woman with a beard like that that is literally my my and i and you know i was training boxing and jujitsu i had scars you know, I was fighting. I loved mixed martial arts. I wasn't that good at it, but I, I was practicing. And did did I do any of that? I think I choked you a little bit or something. I think. I, but then I I jumped up, turned around, and ran for the door. Yeah.
0: What was even better was that the door was locked and you couldn't get out.
1: Yeah, I'd forgotten. Forgotten. <laughs> and, of course, this is where seconds become hours. And I'm reaching, grabbing the door. And I'm scr- I remember I was screaming. Yeah. I was literally, like, screaming at the top real, of my real lungs. Real high-pitched. Oh, yeah, again, yeah, for sure. Like, ah! And like literally unable to open the door that I had just locked. Yes. And I remember in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, whoever this thing is, it's advancing <laughs> towards me. Um, P.S., you know, if, if you are someone in transition who is switching genders, I'm totally cool with that. I want to make that clear. But at this moment, at 19, I was in the dark, and someone that I didn't know had just said, hey, baby. <laughs> it didn't really matter what gender it was. <laughs> no, no. It didn't matter if it was human or not. Um, but I remember, you know, of course, they took pictures of us standing next to each other. We had sort of a special...
0: I still have that somewhere. Yeah.
1: I'm sure it's on, it made its way on Facebook, I'm sure. It totally was there for a while. And I remember a year later... It's a similar situation, and this just shows how I'm imminently uh, joke playable on. Uh huh. Yeah, I know what you mean. I still remember jumping, leaping, and landing again on the same thing. <laughs> and, I, and I think you said the same thing. This was around Halloween, I think, because mm-hmm. there was a spooky time. And I remember this time, I, I think I actually did like choke you or something. <laughs> like I did like grab you.
0: Know, in hindsight, I probably should not have hidden in a dark locked room with a
1: an MMA training person yeah you never call me a fighter because they're those that actually did do it but <laughs> I shouldn't have done that that and, was stupid and you know what turns out most people aren't that brave in the moment of a true true conflict of of a man with a beard in your bed with I mean think about it. let's name
0: name the biggest MMA fighter you can think of the biggest, like just, size wise? Just the biggest, baddest guy.
1: Oh, there's so many right just now. Connor one. McGregor is such okay, a star let's right say now.
0: Connor, let's say you were roommates with Connor. Not roommates, because we weren't roommates. But let's say that you snuck into Connor's room, dressed yeah. as a woman, hid in his bed. He locks the door, shuts the light off, and then he jumps into bed. And you go, hey, baby.
1: See, this is the difference between a real <laughs> fighter and a guy that loves watching fighting and participating in it. This is the difference between someone that would probably. But I didn't know the difference. Yeah, I, you're I, brave.
0: I thought you were going to be in a cage.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever <laughs> the described the octagon. To... Is that what it is? I yeah. don't yeah. know. these yeah. terms. No, you can ther- you can call you can call either, but yeah. um, I don't know if I should call <laughs> you brave for uh <laughs> doing what you did. But but, I'd call it brave. All right, and yep. it, illustrated for me how much I need to work on not running and screaming when
0: But you know they don't train you in that though.
1: No, I'd never work for that attacks. scenario. <laughs> yeah.
0: You always know your opponent's coming, right?
1: So what do you think the takeaway lesson of uh, this little short snippet story is? I don't know. Dress in women's clothing and you get a
0: friend for life. Is that what it is? I'll take it. All right. Yep.
1: <laughs> so thanks so much for listening to part two with Kevin Vaughn. I hope you enjoyed that special bonus portion at the end there, which featured one of the earliest lessons of how would you handle the scenario of someone in your bed wearing underwear that you did not know. I hope that no one has to answer that question. And this is not really, I guess, something, a topic to joke about, but it speaks to the earliest lessons of college where you really do find out that you're in a new world. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed the, the real takeaways that he offered with marriage. I'm going to say that one of the key areas that I, I'm going to remember is asking your partner literally and having the expectation that they're going to be asked, how can I serve you? You know, how, how would it be if you set the expectation that that was language that you used with your partner? How can I serve you? It's weird enough to try to figure out what people want. And some people you know, are easier. Some people are harder. Some people you need kind of an intuitive sense of to figure out what they want. And others, it's, it's very clear. But in any, any case, what if it was a part of everyday language? I don't know. I like that part. If you're enjoying this work, it means the world to me. This is something that I work on every week, and I appreciate it if you're listening at all. So thank you, and please tune in next Tuesday when I release another conversation with an ordinary person who's living an epic life. And I think you just heard my cat meow. If you didn't, he did, and if you did, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week.